Hello and welcome to the podcast version of Let's Kill Twitter, the show that aims to detox your timeline with the art of conversation. Let's Kill Twitter is recorded live and on Zoom and this week featured comedian Ollie Horn. We had plenty to get our teeth into with the big stories including the evidence that Dominic Cummings had given at a select committee, Boris Johnson's quickie wedding with Carrie Simmons and also the Friends reunion. We hope you enjoy it. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at LKTZoom. Good evening and welcome everyone. You are watching Let's Kill Twitter with me, Julian Hall. This is the show that aims to detox your timeline with the art of conversation. Hashtag no biggie. Luckily, I never do that alone. I've got a fantastic guest to introduce tonight, Ollie Horn. But before I do that, the eagle eyed among you will have noticed that my co-host, Sajila Kershi, is not with me. Uh, Sajila is away for a while, but she will be back. So Sajila, if you're watching, we miss you. And if you're not watching, we still miss you. Looking forward to seeing you back soon. Right, now a bit of admin before we kick off. Um, please do follow us uh, at LKT Zoom, our Twitter account, which you can see on the Twitter timeline next to me here. Um, that would be fantastic. You can watch us on streams from YouTube, Facebook or Twitch. Absolutely your choice. Uh, on YouTube, of course, you'll be able to see the show afterwards where it will be there for all eternity, except in some countries where we're banned, or at least we were last week uh, because of the Eurovision video we played. And maybe that's fair enough. I don't know. So without too much further ado, I'm going to introduce tonight's guest who has made quite some effort to be with us tonight. It's comedian and podcaster Ollie Horn, who is, to say he's globetrotting, and not just tonight, to say he's globetrotting is no understatement, having gigged in over 100 cities. Uh, you name the festival, he's played it. And he also finds time to do two podcasts, which are Japan by River Cruise, intriguing, and My Signature Dish. Yes, it's Renaissance Man. Please welcome Ollie Horn. Hey! Hey. What an intro. Thank you very much. It's <laughs> fine. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you've had quite the adventure to be with us tonight, haven't you? Yeah, so, I was. Uh, I, I actually thought that the main the main good thing about Zoom gigs is that you're never late. Right. <laughs> and and uh, this was the first time where I, there was a genuine possibility that I'd be so late because I am. Um, I was driving up the M5 uh to to go back from devon where i've just spent the day and i caught the sun uh to go see my my late grandmother's and grandfather's grave and spend a day eating ice cream on the beach in that order um and then a punctured tire on the motorway uh the aid didn't come in time but my uh, hero dad who doesn't work too far away uh picked me up and brought me and my and my family back so uh i've made it made it here with about well, literally about 30 seconds to spare uh so i'm really glad that i did um and uh what a good thing that um i had legions of people that were that were happy to fill in and uh and you, you were you were very kind about the fact that i was like i realized that it's the easiest thing in the world to just open up a zoom link and crack on but i might not even be able to do that unless the aa oh. van has good wi-fi no totally it could have been but i mean we, we did have someone um susie bennett did it from a phone last week but she was at home so that's slightly different okay um, well i'd like to i'd like to show off because as soon as um as soon as i realized that i had to get on board with zoom gigs if i were to have uh, any semblance of, of any kind of income doing comedy i invested in like a really nice camera and a nice background and a light and it looks awesome and i'm regretful that i can't flex with that and i'm using my 
my inbuilt um is it great know. painting of the door behind you though? well exactly exactly there's, there's a mirror of me again yeah there's incredible there's, such attention really inspiring and also this um you know that you mentioned that i'm globe trotting which is very flattering and it's true I, I left home to go to university when i was 18 and never really came back and you know there's that kind of like artistic trope of that individual that you know leaves home and goes to find their fortune and then it doesn't work out and they're back living in their childhood bedroom well, that's not even happened to me. I'm not living in my childhood bedroom. I'm living in my younger brother's childhood box room. It was the smallest room. It's actually okay. worse, uh, worse wow, than what I thought could be the worst case. Totally reset the bar. <laughs> exactly. So that's where I'm calling in from now. Uh, I mean, you have you have a very you've got a very interesting comedy career because you do do a lot of work out in the Far East, obviously. And I mean, how do you sort of divide your time? I didn't expect you to be back in the country, to be honest. Well, no. So I I um pre pre covid it's it's true i i tried to spend at least um for, for tax reasons not over six months uh but at least at least half the year out of the country uh and the the, the reason why the far east is so great is it's um there's a lot of nascent comedy scenes so even the countries which have the most developed stand-up scenes have only had it for about 15 years so there's this thing there's this incredible energy that you only really find in regional stand-up scenes in the uk Right. Everyone's just very, very supportive, very helpful and audiences. And if I was speaking to to a comic who's a very, very seasoned comic in London, who was playing one of the London clubs who'd never done gigs that, that in that side of the world. And he went, it must be so difficult. They must you know, how, how, how do you how do you manage? And I said, well, actually, those gigs are easier than ones in London, because if you imagine a gig that's been set up in, say, I don't know, Bali, right, then the, the locals that go to that gig, are such fans of stand-up comedy that they're seeking it out. It's like the it's like the main event of their month. They're super excited about it. And so unlike a London audience where half of them would happily just be down the pub or could have gone to the cinema or would have watched a West End show or whatever, where there's a lot of people who are indifferent to stand-up comedy, in parts of the world where there isn't much of a scene, they're like super pleased that it's happening and they just can't believe you've made the effort to like rock up to Nepal for the week. And so they're, you know, they're even more receptive and grateful. So I think that more acts post COVID when we can should make the effort to go out there. And if you're smart, you can you can do it while making a, a living um, and just have the best time. And uh, and I was out there in Malaysia and I got stuck and uh, then eventually the I pandemic, could come home, yeah. but, I, but I chose not to come home because uh, at that point the UK was virus yeah, island. Yeah. And then eventually I got um, a diplomatic way of putting it is I got forcibly repatriated. <laughs> What just recently? Yeah, it happened yeah, about yeah, four yeah. weeks ago, where oh, um, basically the Malaysian government said enough is enough, and yeah. uh, gave a memo through the British embassy to go. You got a week. Hey, come, uh, that's pretty. I mean, how many of us have been kicked out via? Well, you know, getting a letter from the British embassy. I mean, that's pretty. Well, do you know what's funny? It wasn't even a letter. The British embassy completely are phoning in their duty. It's a consulate, not an embassy, and they they um Facebook messaged me. Oh my god, that's okay. Because there's, I've got visions of something coming on the letterhead. Now, if it comes on the letterhead and it's ornate enough, it's like, okay, I'm out. Oh, contraire! No, this, 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 no, this was just, this was just an emoji of a visa with a thumbs down. <laughs> oh dear. I mean, you, I, I mean, it, it was good. To, I mean, I can imagine it was good to be out there during the, the pandemic because it was so much more sort of sorted. I know there were various ways still going on. Um, but so, I think yes, now, regrettably, it's got worse. But at the time, I, I used to do a joke, which was, um, you know, I, I wasn't sure where to spend this pandemic. Do I really, you know, do I stay in Kuala Lumpur or go back to Bristol? And I thought, do I really want to spend a pandemic in a developing country with crumbling medical infrastructure and no leadership? And I thought, no, I can't go back to the UK. I'll stay here where it's safe. 
And at the time that joke worked because it was completely true that, you know, the UK had completely lost the plot as we might be talking about later. Whereas, well, in, uh, whereas well, in Malaysia, they, they, they took it really, really seriously. And there was just a lot of, um, a lot of a sense of civic duty. I don't like the Orientalist word compliance. I've seen a lot of Western media talk about Japan as a country of compliance, and and you know, that's why lockdowns work. I don't think that's true. I just think it's a it's a broader sense of civic duty, and it might be because you know when you're from a country which has slightly worse resources than we do, you you you're you're, you're more grateful for them, and you want to preserve them more. Yeah, that, I mean that's that is a that's a very interesting angle that probably doesn't get stressed enough actually in all the sort of reportage on that. Um, now, there's a couple of things that I wanted to uh, pick up with you just before we launch into the tweet, one of which is uh, I, one of the ways that I know you from is from some of the things you've written about uh, comedy and the law. And um, I mean, I think you wrote for Peace for Chortler and it was very much about um, sort of joke ownership and, and you know, and every so often there is a big there is a big story around that. And, you know, there have been across the years, there have been quite a few. Um, I mean, is that something that you you get asked about quite a lot by fellow comics? Yeah, do you know, you'd be surprised. I, I can't give names, obviously, because whenever no. someone comes to me, they always go, man, you can't tell anyone about this. But I would say on a monthly basis, no, more probably more than monthly now, possibly every, on a fortnightly basis, I'm seen as the go-to guy for what are my rights in this case. And it's it's 80% copyright stuff and 20% my agents messing me about or, uh, you know, some, something else that's, you know, related to the to, to the law. And I never asked for this. I mean, there was a reason why I never became a lawyer, because I didn't think I'd be very good at it. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, and, and it's, um, it, and the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm kind of quite glad of it is legal advice is so expensive. And sometimes the reason someone goes to a lawyer is because they kind of know what the answer is, but they just need, they actually don't need the legal support. They just need the, 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 the kind of the moral support that they're doing the right thing. And, and I think um, that's sometimes why people get in touch with me. But yeah, you'd be, uh, yeah, you'd be surprised at the breadth of comedians from low profile to very, very high profile that um, are embroiled in joke theft. And uh, yeah, I'll get DMs about you it. Need to, or... You need to set up a hot, sort of kind of very expensive hotline for this, don't you? <laughs> I know, I, well, I, I mean, the, the, if you want to, to delve into this a little bit deeper, the reason why this is, and the reason why I've been told, and I'm quoting from a particular comic who's involved in a dispute, my article is a load of shit. The reason why they told me that was, uh, I, I concluded that you can copyright a joke, right? But, but the problem is the remedy. So the way that the law works, right, is just because someone's infringed your rights, doesn't mean that you're automatically entitled to something. You need to show loss and loss. And, and basically when you go to a court, you need to ask the court to do something. And normally that is, can you make them pay me some money? And the court will normally say yes, if the law is on your side, but it's your job to say how much they should pay you based on how much you've lost. And the problem with a joke is, let's say someone's performed, uh, you know, one of your one-liners. Well. I mean, you and I both know that the, the market rate for a day's writing is sometimes in the hundreds of pounds, exceptionally, it goes up to the high hundred thousands of pounds. And so just to get a lawyer to write you a legal letter is, I don't know, can be as little as 250, can be as much as five, 600 pounds. And so it's just not worth it, right? Mm. And so it's only really these mega, mega, mega cases. Um, but but what's, I mean, the, the way that I think this is solved is that club owners are take some responsibility for this because it's normally too late once the joke has happened on tv 
right? Because once it's happened on TV, the jokes burn. Or even if the joke isn't burnt, the comic that originally wrote it has gone, well, I no longer, you know, it's no longer, I don't no longer feel ownership anymore. But inevitably, if a joke is going to happen on TV, it's going to be rehearsed in a club. And I think that club bookers have a bit, uh, have more responsibility than they think for just making sure that if people are murmuring about this kind of thing, that they act on it. And, you know, there aren't that many clubs in this country. And if you get blacklisted from half of them by virtue of the fact that you're doing identical routines to other people, then mm. I think that will put a stop to it before it gets so far as it gets to TV. So, I mean, that's, that's my view. Well, at least at the moment, only half the number, number of people are actually listening. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. The, re the reach has been halved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or less, uh, well, I saw, well, anyway, I, I'll talk to you about that later. That's a bit of an in-comedy thing. But um, actually, probably good, Mike, well, definitely a good moment to talk about um, your engagement with Twitter sort of generally, because if you went up, if you if you had a kind of Twitter persona that was, uh, you know, uh, joke, legal for jokes or something like that, I reckon you'd probably get for more even more followers well poss um, possibly yeah we should so we'll let we'll let the audience know that you're on uh, oh very easy it's at ollie horn tweaks there you are um now what what's your sort of what is your view of twitter everyone has a different vibe when it comes to social media and and how they relate to it and you know what their biggest buzz was from it and all that kind of thing yeah, well, my, my view has changed that I, I regret not taking Twitter seriously back in the days when you could just build a following by just following everyone and they follow you back. Uh, I, I never thought that Twitter was my medium. And at the time when I was starting to gig more, I don't know, maybe 2016, 2017, all, loads of comics were saying Instagram's where you got to be. So I put loads of effort on my Instagram profile and built up, um, you know, built up a load of followers. And I thought, right, that's, you know, that's me sorted. And I think comics have moved away from Instagram and have gone back, back to Twitter. Um, my view is I really like reading tweets. And I think that everyone that complains about Twitter um, is it's like complaining about a book um, that you've chosen, right? Like, like you, you or written in some cases. <laughs> or, yeah. or, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So my view is like, I'm, I try really hard to create my cur curate, I should say my feed with interesting people and there's maybe like a dozen or so people that I follow out of a professional obligation and then I mute them. Uh, but I would say the vast majority of my feed is people that I really value what they're writing about. And at times when you want to write a joke about a headline, and I think if you go back to my profile, you can see the last tweet I did was, um, was, was a joke about some news. Uh, okay, that's uh, not that well, one then. Oh, right. Yes. Now, no, I do not follow the Daily Express. Awful. No, so if I ever if I ever think, well, I wonder what's going on in the news and I wonder if I can write a joke about it, then I will separately go onto those profiles. Because I think if your Twitter is full of news, it's just absolutely overwhelming. So that's uh, that's my approach to it. And I, um, I, I, I mean, I like it. I like scrolling through it. And for my podcast, certainly my, Jap my Japan by River Cruise podcast, there's no way we would have the listenership and the engagement and the support that we have without Twitter, which is, I'd say, where our community is based. And the thing that, that, that if you look at kind of the growth of downloads month on month of the podcast, there's a positive correlation from the first moments where our listeners were talking to each other under our tweets to like exponential growth. And I think that's because Twitter can be a home of a of a community. And what's really nice is like, like I can see our listeners like becoming friends with each other in the comments underneath 
our tweets. Uh, and friends that... in the comments. What? Sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's mad, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but 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 personally, I I don't. Um, I mean, I'm not I'm not very good at writing jokes and one-liner jokes. So Twitter's not really my my like comic medium. But I I um. It's not a story. It's not a storytelling medium. No, I suppose no. that's that's absolutely true. Um, what's your? But having said that, though, is, is is would you say that's your sort of standout moment from Twitter, the Jap, the champ, Japan by River Cruise stuff, or is there something? Is there a tweet that you particular was particularly successful for you, or an engagement that really stands out? Um, well, do you know what I? Well, I remember um, my one of my very very earliest engagements on Twitter would have been I don't know back in 2011 or something a really long time ago when I had a back and forth with Jonathan Ross who was new on the platform and I was at that point interested in Japan and learning Japanese and I asked him a question and he got back to me and then I asked him another question he got back to me and I thought this is cool so so yeah, so that, that was cool. yeah that was pretty <laughs> seminal um but but I, I don't think I mean we were blocked our, our my our Japan by River Cruise account was blocked by a um, or reported by a Japanese government minister because we were trolling him too hard because <laughs> after every one of his tweets I responded with the Alan Partridge shrug emoji you know the you know the one you, you might know the one I'm talking about but there's a scene uh, where yes. he's, he's talking that's to the BBC right. commissioner or something and he goes like that yeah, that's right. um, and so the, yeah that put us that put a stop to that. But no, I, but you know what? One thing that's really interesting, and you you might uh, have more insight than I do about this uh, as a as a PR. But of my friends that have had tweets go mega viral, you know, like forty thousand retweets and like these jokes that just skyrocket and become the, the talk of the day. Um, they don't get followers from it. No, it is it is astonishing how it's incredible <laughs> they can get, and also they can get like you know ten thousand profile views, and people go, ah, no. And I, my gut feeling is that people follow people on Twitter because they want to amplify messages that they would otherwise want to say themselves. And this theory goes about branding, right? That the reason why a company like Nike does adverts on the TV showing cool sports people is not because they need to sell more trainers, it's because they need to remind everyone what the Nike brand stands for, such that when you wear Nike trainers, you can leverage that goodwill that they've created. You can leverage that kudos by going, I'm wearing Nike trainers, and that's what this says about me, right? Like, or, or like a certain car, right? The reason why car brands do really expensive adverts on TV is not because you go, oh yeah, I probably should buy a BMW. It's because BMW owners want other people to know what BMW owners are like, at least in their view. And I think the same is true for Twitter. I think a lot of people follow people and amplify jokes, not because they're the funniest jokes, but because they have a message which they uh, believe resonates with the persona they want they want to curate. And uh, I haven't yet fallen down the identity politics. I'm now a right wing comedian standing up for free speech, or I'm now a left wing comedian uh, who, who believes that everyone who's ever made money from a gig deserves to um you know yeah. so to spend that all on on copies of Karl Marx until they die or whatever um obviously I'm being facetious uh, but balance but, I, I, but we appreciate the balance <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah. uh, and those aren't the only two sides uh but because I um because I suppose I am a bit of a um persona wise a bit of a plain Jane right like you, you know I imagine there are audience members who watch a full show of mine and couldn't guess how I vote maybe uh that that's probably you know that that's pr probably works against me if my goal is to create 
cu- sorry, curate a Twitter following. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's the that, that's the kind of everything is sort of political side of it, really. I do find it amazing that you've got these sort of they're almost a one hit wonder heroes. You tweet something and they get thousands and thousands of likes and retweets, and yet they get no followership. As if people are already making, yeah, that's they're never gonna. That's their best. That's the best shot. <laughs> it's never gonna happen again. <laughs> that's anyway. really funny. That's really funny. It's like I'm, yeah, that's as good as that's ever gonna get from that profile picture. I mean, you know, we've we've had a few on, featured few on here, and then you you find that like, if I got about thirty nine followers, it's like what? Yeah. Anyway, so let's go. Let's go into your selection actually, because uh, you've you've got a diverse selection of tweets tonight and actually think we should start with japan as well which i think is this one uh is it rochelle cop uh, yes and into cult uh so um update on the well actually you read this one because i will get the words badly wrong and also it was oh, okay. good for the podcast sure so, so rochelle says update on the yoyogi that's in in japanese to say yoyogi yoyogi coin means yoyogi park um where they've announced that they're going to limit the number of people to 710 why even bother for such a small number of people? Uh, and then there's a load of um, hashtags in Japanese, which basically say, um, stop um, stop building a, um, how do you say Hiroba? Stop, stop, um, stop the pruning of trees in the park. Um, and, and we're against a public viewing gallery. Basically, the reason why I chose this tweet is, I really like how Rochelle uses Twitter, which is, um, she, she's got this this platform because uh, her main job, her day job, is she's an intercultural consultant. So she helps foreign companies who want to set up business in Japan and helps Japanese companies who want to do vice versa. And she's really, really smart. And I've known her for a long, long time, even before I was doing the podcast from back in, in the startup world when I was uh, involved in running companies. And uh, she... Um, all of a sudden has become like the face of this campaign. I just think it's really funny that it started with a tweet. And so that's why I chose it. And basically the Olympics is going ahead in Japan, despite the fact that basically no one in Japan wants it to happen. There's like 85% of people now, I think, have decided that it shouldn't happen. And the reason it's happening is the IOC um, has got Tokyo over a barrel. Or should I say the person responsible for the contract, whose name is Dick Pound, has got Tokyo, this is true, has got yes, Tokyo over a barrel. Name rings a bell, actually. Yeah. And uh, basically, Tokyo cannot pull out of the Olympics. Uh, it has to be cancelled by the IOC. The IOC don't want to cancel it. And what's mad about it is, um, and Rochelle has written about this in some of her books, that Japanese decision-making is different to Western decision-making. Western decision-making is we will take a relatively short amount of time to come to a decision, but then once it happens, we'll carry on iterating on that decision. Um, as circumstances change. Whereas the Japanese way of doing things is taking a really, I'm obviously I'm simplifying what she's saying if she's watching this, but uh, Japanese takes a really long time to make a decision and gets loads of input from all the different stakeholders. And it's a big long process. So then once the decision's made, they execute on it and it's really hard to change course. And you, this Yoyogi Park is a classic example. This big company called Densu, who's just an enormous uh, marketing and events company and they're basically i'm happy to say awful um they're, they're just I mean, well they're awful because i mean partly my co-host reminded me that um i think they're awful partly because i did loads of work with them i wrote a script for them and and acted in one of their commercials which then they pulled the week after one of their employees unfortunately killed herself because she was overworked 
Um, and so I lost loads of money, uh, but, but they're generally an awful company. And they're standing to profit from this viewing gallery that's happening in, in Tokyo, in a big park in Tokyo. Um, you know, think one of the big London parks, right? Yeah, so but this is they... all happening because of the Olympics. Yes, the Olympics, it, yeah. exactly. And yeah. so the idea is that um, lots of people can watch the events for free in a park. But in order to build this, they're cutting down a load of trees, which is not necessarily a good thing. No, well, um, 710 is, yeah, or they're limiting it to 710. Yes, so, so, the, so this is yeah. the mad thing, right? They're right. building it because someone's standing to make money from it. But they said because of social distancing, we're only going to have 710 people a day that can use the platform. And someone on her petition, she's now got over 100,000 signatures on this petition, yeah. worked okay. out that based on how much it's costing, it's costing over 1,000 US dollars per person stand, standing on, on this on this thing. <laughs> And, and the reason why people are so angry about it, and the reason why Rochelle's done such a great job with her platform on Twitter and with the petition is, it's emblematic of the fact that the Olympics is now, like absolutely defies reason. Like rationally, this thing should not be built anymore because even if the Olympics were to go ahead, it's irresponsible to have people bunching up, watching it, you know, on a screen when everyone's got a TV at home anyway. Uh, and, and so a lot of people are against it not just because it's a daft thing to happen also by the way in that park they have a public viewing gallery like they, they already have some kind of the japanese word is hidoba i'm not sure what that means like event space i guess is a good translation there's already an event space there but they're just building a second one but also just the principle of uh why don't we just take a step back and rein in the olympics um rather than just continue to do all this construction work which is only serving to line the corporate interests of uh the the sponsors of, of the games I'm just thinking about some of the keywords uh, from from this story, and unfortunately, Dick Pound don't pull out uh, comes to mind. <laughs> <So> anyway, um, <laughs> what? It, it, I mean, let's that's a lot. Eighty-five percent of the population against it. Is that going to manifest itself in any any sort of protest, or is that not how it? you know, going to pan out. It's, it's, it's interesting. People say that Japan doesn't have a culture of protest, but something I learned on my podcast with one of our guests is that there is a culture of protest, but they, they tend to be um, much smaller and they tend to be more minority voices that are more easily silenced. Um, I think the country feels a bit helpless, not least because like, who would they be protesting? Because their own government probably doesn't want the Olympics to go ahead, but knows that if they were to unilaterally pull out of the, the agreement with the IOC, that they're going to be responsible for all the losses and someone called matt alt uh, who's an author journalist based in tokyo american chap did some research into this and it seems to be down to insurance contracts that you know a bit like we had at the start of the very first lockdown when if there was an official lockdown venues could claim on their insurance for loss of earnings but if the government only advised that it didn't go ahead yeah. then they couldn't yeah, and i remember yeah, quite a few big right. promoters getting really annoyed about this this distinction a kind of a similar thing seems to be happening in tokyo that unless the ioc themselves says um the olympics isn't going ahead then um a lot of people are going to owe a lot of people a lot of money and so who would they be who would the japanese people be protesting against the international olympic committee well there's probably only about 25 people that are going to be flying in and staying in the nicest hotels in the city mm. they're not going to hear, hear it or care it's pretty quite faceless and sort of sort of elite organization yeah. really it could be, yeah. be it'd be interesting to see that how that one pans out actually i have to say i'm all for i'm all for sort of uh, saving trees brings back very memories of various campaigns um yeah but well, uh, I mean, i'm really good on Rochelle. she's done such a good job with it she's and she's um she's got a following she has a japanese and an english 
Twitter account where she tweets in both languages and she's done this whole all bilingual and it's, it's very rare in Japan that the international community and the native Japanese community are in alignment on an issue. Yeah and also you know 100,000 signatories that's that's really good going. Isn't yeah it? it's really good going I think it's way more than that now actually. Which you say she'd get a debate in parliament over here but you know. Yes that's true yeah. Right now, so where should we go to? Well, let's, I mean, look, one of the big stories of the week, let's face it, uh, and I might share a couple of my uh, Dominic Cummings ones as well. Um, but you picked this one out from Dom's own account, uh, yeah. complete with whiteboard. Uh, yeah, again, if you do the honours and, and read it out and then just like go into it. Okay, so uh, well, uh, let me start with the username, at Dominic2306. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's almost... It's, and also his his avatar looks a little bit like an egg. It's almost bot farm troll territory username and profile picture, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no, it's. Uh, I mean, it's not. It's a, it's the moon, but it's. It's the moon as seen from his space yeah. layer, probably. Or it's his or it's his head, um, and uh, it's number sixty seven of a long thread, as shown to the prime minister in his study Saturday morning, uh, on the fourteenth of March by Ben Warren. Current plan. Um, equals disaster versus actual plan. The whiteboard is just behind. The official plan is a disaster. We need plan B. Reason I showed this tweet is this is exactly what Twitter's for. That I mean, how juicy is this that we get to see inside, inside, yeah. no, literally inside number ten at the actual. You know, this is the kind of thing that you know when when we look at like old Cold War maps, we see them in history books. But because of Twitter, we're seeing them right now. Do you not find it fascinating that this was? Ah, just brilliant. Yeah, uh, this is what was shown to the prime minister while he was, you know, distracted by we hear reports of his uh, well now wife, um, yeah. but girlfriend at the time, um, causing some fuss about some dog. And also in the same room, there was also a discussion happening about whether we should join a bombing campaign that Trump wanted to do in Iraq. And the reason I chose this tweet is, um, well, firstly, it's such a big news story, isn't it? Um, and yeah. I find it so funny that people people's views change about Dominic Cummings by virtue of the fact that he might now be on our side. Uh, <laughs> well, but, but maybe tweet about that somewhere. Actually, yeah, yeah. But, but, but mainly because I just think I genuinely think it's fascinating that he's kept these receipts and uh, and is tweeting them out like I, I for all of his faults. Uh, we do need like the world relies on whistleblowers and uh, transparency. And you can't get more transparent than a picture of the actual whiteboard that was drawn to the prime minister at the beginning of the biggest public health crisis of our generation. Thank you. Yeah, Hassan. well, that's true. I mean, I've got, and I didn't, because it's in my photos actually, see if I can, I don't know how I can, oh, we've got to do the, we've got to do the Ollie Horn, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, Eurovision. Oh. We'll have to clear that up at some point. <laughs> um, so this is the other whiteboard, which is got who not, who not, who to not save, I think is it. But I mean, you could actually read that as who, who to not soup. I was thinking maybe they were taking a lunch order at the time, but <laughs> that may be clutching at straws. Um, yes, ignore my photos, people. I, I picked out a few, but now that you've, that particular point that you've mentioned, uh, there's a Nick Timothy tweet that hopefully I can find without too much scrolling. Uh, this, is, this is your comment about, you know, do we love Dom or do we not love Dom? Um, he has got, where are we, where are we, where are we? Sorry, this is what happens when I don't, I don't like the tweets. I mean, I do like the tweets. I don't mean it in that sense, but I don't bookmark it. It's, it's funny you mentioned about the liking. We're just what you're finding there. Yeah, it occurred to me that a lot of people get um, get criticised for having liked a tweet back in 2012 where someone said something objectionable. 
but it's only very recently that that button was a like button before it was some kind of bookmark or something wasn't it yeah no totally yeah i mean i don't think i'm finding that but basically it was that was silly of me but it was nick uh, timothy um yeah. obviously Trace, theresa may and the great brains behind the 2017 election decision nice one <laughs> nick. smartest guy in the world uh, <laughs> but he did say that he was trying to do a venn diagram of the people that um hated dom and the people that now love him but he couldn't because it was just one gigantic circle basically. yeah well, I mean, this this is why, I mean, for everyone that says that Twitter is not a platform for nuance, I think this is a good example of, of that argument, because obviously there is a nuanced take, which is clearly Dominic Cummings is self-serving, and clearly he's got an agenda of revenge or retribution or self-aggrandizement. If I wasn't on the M5 hard shoulder for 90 minutes, I might have got that word out. Uh, so obviously we can we can say yes it's true that he might have an ulterior motive but also the things that he's saying might also be helpful and true mm, and mm, I mean one of the things that, yeah. that that lawyers do is they go well yes this you know this witness might not be credible generally right this might be a this might be a rotter but it might be useful that mm. they have a particular recollection about this night or you know whatever it is and obviously I think there is a really like perfectly reasonable nuanced take which is yes Dominic Cummings is an absolute piece of work. And uh, Johnson is like, Johnson is more of a fool now in retrospect. We know Johnson's more of a fool for ever trusting this man. Mm. However, that's not to say that just because he's a complete loser uh, doesn't mean that everything, yeah. he, everything he's tweeting needs to be completely discredited, especially when it's corroborated with other sources from the time. And for people to, you know, for people to go, oh, well, you know, this is just Westminster, Westminster back and forth. Well, it's not. If we look at look at what he's saying, he's saying things like Matt Hancock lied. Right now, does he hate Matt Hancock? Obviously, yes. But could it also be true that he hates Matt Hancock and also Matt Hancock did also actually lie? Uh, but, yeah, but I mean, they're not mutually exclusive, are they? <laughs> that, that, is, that is true. I mean, there was a lot, I guess there was quite a lot of mileage on this. And I'll just run a few, a few quick tweets. But there is something that strikes me about this uh, whole situation that is a bit like, it's a slight Gollum situation. You know, Gollum says, okay, it's a fair cop. I'll, I'll show you the ring. It's funny. You know, I'll show you all about it, whatever it is. And it's like, I've got to trust Gollum or I've got to, I've got to take the ring from Gollum in a way that I just didn't want this to happen and and even though it's true the source is so sort of uh, you know discredited really that it, it's really hard for people to kind of hold their nose and and do exactly yeah. what you just said essentially yeah and, and, and there's that other really bizarre argument which is well this is what he wants he wants to be back in the news again so well, what we can give him what he wants and also derive some value from the fact that he's exposing all this stuff well, I mean, he says the best thing for everyone is that he's going to walk away off into the sunset when when all this is over. But you know, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, if the, if Big Brother was still going here, then uh, you know, you know <laughs> what will happen. But yeah, so a few coming streets. So there's, I mean, David Padil makes the point. Uh, happy birthday, David, by the way. Um, it's upsetting that Dominic Cummings' testimony today will probably have very little effect on Boris Johnson's standing because nothing seems to. But then again, it's cheering to think about Dominic Cummings failing to make the impact that he's, he's entitled to. He always thinks he's entitled to. So, you know, a nice double-edged sword there. And then Ian Dunt <clears throat> from politics.co.uk, uh, I didn't say Politico, often get them mixed up. Um, Cummings says, all the stories about Rishi Sunak trying to stop lockdowns are wrong. Uh, really? This was very well documented by a respected journalist with a track record for telling the truth. And then followed it up with, uh, 
And that operates regardless of whether Hancock was responsible. Important to note, but given, I'm pretty sure that if someone asked who could play <laughs> in this session, Cummings would say that Hancock did it. Yeah, that's very well put. And um, then, although, although, isn't it funny that wasn't it Ian Dunt? I might be wrong. That that tried to be the voice of reason back in March last year when he said things like, "Come on, can everyone hear?" You know, because like Ian Dunt is often retweeted by a lot of liberals, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he was the one that was trying to speak to us a lot, us liberals, going, "Come on, guys! Obviously, the Tories are not actually trying to actually kill us. Don't be daft. You know, let's have a bit of perspective." And then I think it's Ian Dunn. I think it is him. Someone then retweeted uh, that tweet in light of some of Cummings' evidence, which is th that was literally the actual policy. Like herd, immu herd immunity was definitely the policy until until, until it stopped. You know, with probably that. Um, that's evergreen um, It's line. a double take moment, isn't it? That Pat, in the first press conference, Patrick Valance basically more or less said, he didn't quite say we want everyone to get it, but I certainly came away from that press conference thinking, right, we're going to do my best for the country and, you know, lick a few <laughs> yeah, yeah, services. Yeah. Sign me up. Uh, you know, sign me up. Um, I mean, there was tons on Cummings, really. Um, so try not to sort of uh, to get, well, not to overplay it, but Stephen Bush from the New Statesman, there were three people in this marriage, Cummings tells the Select Committee, so he gets the Martin Bashir story in. Um, and then Henry Mance from the FT, I'm guessing that Cummings is now an evening-only invite to the wedding. <laughs> who, who knew that was coming up so quickly? Um, and then, I mean... Yes, exactly. I bet, exactly. I bet Henry Mance wouldn't have, wouldn't have known about that. No, exactly. Way, it's, it's all this sort of smacks of the Harry and Meghan sort of, you know... Yeah. Uh, What's it wedding? A rehearsal wedding, really. And again, you know, Sam Friedman, who I often uh, use in the show, he's saying that again, it's just not viable that Rob and Sunak were outstanding and PM and Hancock were useless, as if the former two had no ability to sway decision making. It's ridiculously binary. Uh, and given the opportunity to criticise Sunak, who was against the second lockdown, he doesn't. And he goes back to attacking the Department of Health, who were in favour of lockdown. So you know, I mean, it's, it's a very reasonable take. Yeah, it's a reasonable take. But I suppose I think, you know, we have to go back to what you said earlier, which is like it's it, it, it's it, things are not mutually exclusive in terms of, of the information that's been offered up. Yeah. And that, that's the reason why why Sam's tweet, despite the fact it's clearly true, has only got 42 retweets. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like not enough people have gone very reasonable. Everyone must know that I'm reasonable. No, no one wants that as their Twitter persona. Well, that's Ben Mackle from the Times. Is uh, just the picture of Dom Cummings there uh, with a sort of quote: "Not a single member of the cabinet placed civilization on deity level difficulty." <laughs> and that was one of the things that kind of came for me is that I know he included himself in this by saying, "Look, even I'm not qualified to be here," which wasn't, you know, this sort so of like humble brag. Oh, it's but, awful, isn't it? it you know, but it, I don't think anything. That's the thing with Dom Cummings is like nothing would ever be good for him. I mean, there were some things that certainly fall way short of anything that's good, but Terrible. it just doesn't feel that he would ever, you know, he'd ever be satisfied, really. Anyway, let's, uh, you know, you, well, speaking of uh, Cummings and all, oh, you actually picked up on the, the wedding, which has obviously just happened today. And actually, you were talking about uh, earlier about Japan by River Cruise and about how people were making friends in the comments. Not so much for this tweet. Uh, tell us, read, read, read this one out and let us know. Uh, congratulations. Uh, Carrie Simmons and Boris Johnson. The bride looks utterly stunning. The dress is beautiful, and her husband totally smitten. Good luck to the pair of them. Now, before we go to the comments, let, let's let me just make clear that obviously Emily Sheffield, whoever she is, um, find out. 
She, I think, uh, uh, she said it's the evening standard. Say, okay, oh, form it, oh, anyway, whatever. It, she, she has an agenda in tweeting this, right? This is not a, a gesture of goodwill in a vacuum, right? This is her planting her stake. Like, well, look, we can all, can't we all just be civil and just have some goodwill for the happy couple, right? That's a very, that, that, that tweet, for all its veil of neutrality and uh, goodwill, obviously has a veil of come on here's your bait yeah right. yeah 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 like, like, like most tweets but yeah but yeah i know yeah. i see what you're saying i don't it's not for example it's not the sort of it's not the same as when prince philip died and people saying look today's the day to sort of put away your put away your feelings and all the rest of it, 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 it yeah because that was a sort of public service announcement that all that although a little yeah. bit hopeful in some form. and if we can just be completely clear right emily sheffield has absolutely no prospect of carrie simmons or boris johnson seeing this tweet acknowledging it or it affecting them in any way at all so what, what emily is doing is no I don't think that carrie simmons reads her ads Oh, well, actually, possibly, but I mean, but, she, but fine, but she might scroll past it and go, okay, good, 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 well wishes. Good, good well and done. Tick PG. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And well, maybe because Emily Sheffield worked for Vogue, then maybe, okay, possibly. But what I want, what the point I want to make is the frequency in which this kind of tweet operates is no different to the frequency of anybody mindlessly replying to Donald Trump going, oh, hey, you're an idiot, right? It's like, they're saying that not to that person, but for their audience, right? It's like, writing an open letter to someone who you're not anticipating they're going to read it but you want everyone else to see the open letter right that that, that that's what these tweets are in my view yeah like if she really wanted to well wish them then she could send them a dm although people a bit, i mean people do like to be sort of stand up and be counted on twitter and they feel like it's like when a you know when a celebrity sorry to go back to death but when a celebrity dies i mean some people like to sort of process that for a while but generally you want their the, the kind of regret they're no longer around to be noted in some form and i well i suppose I that's all like, yeah you know, i suppose look, i suppose that's true look, I'm, I'm not look, i'm not saying it's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing yeah. i just want to acknowledge that what emily is doing is the same as when people respond to someone like ricky gervais going i think you suck right like that is that same gesture of other, they just want other people to know that there are other people that think that they suck emily wants other people to know that she has good sentiment towards this towards mm -hmm. this couple mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i mean you could i did seem so i mean i don't I wonder whether as a sitting prime minister i mean if that had been Keir starmer i can't see any reason why she are you saying that you she wouldn't necessarily have done that if it was Keir starmer yeah i, I think this is a stake in the ground yeah yeah okay but a stake in the ground with a big sign saying tory i mean certainly to know it will get a reaction there's no doubt about it yeah you know, there's, there's but on the other hand that shouldn't exclude you from from yeah. doing what she would argue is perfectly normal which is to uh, wish a couple of newlyweds well but but then of course the bait is taken so I, i'm right so i'm not sure uh, what in which order the comments are but did you have any in particular oh because there's a lot of people that are complaining about a lot of uh well yeah so, so i mean so firstly right the the, the the top comment is always people complaining about the other comments yeah. so that's good um and that's pretty mild for terry christian to be fair <laughs> yeah um so what what, what else can we see okay yeah. so here oh, we go new, right here we go Who, who's the new mistress <laughs> who will right. be the new mistress right okay this though and look and the th and look, if it's a performance this is someone who is 
a pro EU wears a mask. So, you know, this is, I mean, oh, oh, it's it's fine to do this, but it just reaffirms my point that like, these are people who want to signal to other people what they think about the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Congratulations to them. Don't have to agree with this politics, but surely we can be kind to people. Yeah. Also, on this point about about what Barry said, right, it's absolutely fine, but there is probably something to be said for we are still in the middle of the biggest public health crisis this country or certainly the NHS has ever had to face, right? And I don't know why they needed to get married this week, but it seems like the kind of thing that could wait. (laughs) Take the heat off the dog story, maybe. I mean, you could, I mean, any any of these sort of things are up for sort of... uh debate i suppose but you, but you just think like you know someone was saying like well boris johnson shouldn't have been writing his shakespeare book well, i kind of have the view that probably sitting prime ministers probably shouldn't have the time to read many books they should mm. be that busy you'd hope right so like, a wedding's a pretty big thing and it's not the kind of thing that's just in your diary is like you know 7 a.m wake up chair a cobra meeting 10 a.m call with dutch premier about something midday go and get my suit on for my wedding like, it's a big it's it's, it's surely it's going to take up a lot of your time if you're going to do it properly mm-hmm. i mean they've basically put as much effort into this as a vegas wedding <laughs> i mean obviously boris dresses elvis please that would, be <laughs> quite, that, would gone, that would gone down well in america with trump well, but... with all of the with all of the intellectual gymnastics the catholic church seems to have had to do to somehow make this wedding i mean you know you know like the fact they've been married in a, in a catholic church is I mean, lest we forget this is um this is like Henry the eighth breaking with rome levels of um you know the church having to bend over backwards to please our monarch it's yeah. there's absolutely no way logically if we follow the rules of the catholic church that they should be married in according to you know their rules uh and so just just so you know well, isn't it's, there a parallel with the, the whole Meghan and Harry thing? I mean, obviously this 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 ha- this happened as opposed yeah. to whatever Meghan and Harry said. I still find that that is a really a really strange one when the Archbishop of Canterbury is basically saying mm, didn't happen. You know, dh it's dhotya, isn't it? Whatever the hashtag is on that. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's but it's interesting because I it's, I, I like what you say about um, a prime minister not having time to actually read that many books on the job. As long as the Prime Minister's actually um, read quite a few books beforehand, that's fine. Yeah. And Because um, otherwise you get Donald Trump who didn't read much before or certainly <laughs> That is true. That is true. Helen wants who won. Oh my God, that dress is hideous. I mean, oh, just... Well, I mean, I mean that's that's just typical wedding wedding bands. I it? know, but that's, that's exactly... This is the kind of chat which should be happening privately after a few drinks at, at a meal that's been paid for by the happy couple. Not publicly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it is a bit of a strange one. Well, I love this picture of Jennifer Archery. Um, I mean, I have to say, I you know, so far the the sort of uh, the criticism has been fairly uh, you know nuanced. But but again, it goes back to um, or it's been fairly mild compared to what what's out there. But what is interesting, and I know it goes back to the intent of the original tweet. So I, I'm sort of certainly falling into line what you've been said is that everything it, we live in a world where everything is political now i mean mm. every, everything always was political but yeah. my god the the definition on of yeah. that is like and, and do you know what's funny even even the tweet which is like can't we put our differences aside and just be happy for them as people 
that tweet too is a is now a political tweet that's now taking a stance well yeah i mean you know you stick your neck out and say something then it, it, it's a it's a position isn't it on the scale yeah. but yeah i mean we're doomed hashtags we're doomed but whatever <laughs> Um, so we've done Boris, we've done Dom um, Cummings, we've done Rochelle's tweet. Um, I think that actually was Athena was was Athena the last of yours? It could have been. I think I only yeah. sent you a happy moment said before. But um, as you say, you were, she's doing what Twitter's all about. She's just making a joke. Yeah, but it's more than making a joke. Uh, so the thing that surprises me about Athena, I've never met her. I don't even think I've seen her live oh, okay. doing stand up. Right. But I would say her hit rate of tweets, which like really hit hard, like really resonate with me, has got to be like 80%. Yeah. And it's funny because we're obviously from like quite different backgrounds or quite different people. But, and, and I'm talking, I'm not talking about like her big broad political statement tweets, which she does occasionally. I'm talking about things like this. Like I do go to bed fantasizing <laughs> about breakfast. And I mean, this, I only picked this one because it was her most recent one, but on a weekly basis, she, she says something and it's not yeah. often to do with food. Sometimes it's about kind of technology um, and life, but they just like, they really like, they, 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 I'm, I'm just thinking, well, I could have tweeted that and that would have been authentic in my voice because that's exactly how I think. And uh, I don't know, for me that like, this is what, this is what Twitter is, is about. Uh, that like it's nice to read thoughts that you've had articulated in a, in a better yeah. way uh, than than you. Uh, I, I I agree actually that we featured a tweet from Athena a few weeks back, which was the, her take on the cat uh, cushions for question uh, cat for cushions. Uh, right. Although in her case, I think she said the curtain. You know, if if it's sort of curtains for Boris, or if that's what undoes him, it's it's going to be like. Um, it's going to be like tax returns for Al Capone. You know, it's basically along <laughs> those lines. It's like, oh, she's this, so funny. Is this what gets him? Yeah, no, she's, she's fun. Yeah, she's I, such I, a good comic. It is. It is interesting though. Don't you find that I, I liked? We would like to have our sort of sentiments and our views sort of backed up. So if you see someone um, saying that or saying something that resonates, I think it's fantastic. But there are, aren't there times? I don't know if you do this, but I have a thought sometimes, and I immediately just go to the Twitter search engine and think, right, I. You know, who who else has already had this thought? Oh right. And if yeah, I yeah, see yeah. that nobody else has, it's like whoa. And obviously, when I tweet it, I get like zero likes, whatever. But at least I'm first. Yeah. yeah. I've just I've just found another one from her, which is, weren't we all supposed to have three D printers by now? I I had that thought. I had that thought like a few months ago, which is like, I needed a part for something. I was like, if I just had a three D printer at home, like my DT teacher told me fifteen years ago, we'd all have. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, it's true. I mean, and it's a fair, it's a fair point. I'm sure there's a, a tomorrow's world or similar. That the, the tweet, by the way, that. I think that the tweet which represents that that um, thought which you've had, is the one which comes up every six months about quicksand. Uh, once every six months, someone goes, "I always thought quicksand would be a bigger, bigger deal in adult life than we were told as a child," and you just see you see a variation of that once every six months that does the rounds and gets like a hundred thousand likes because <laughs> it's like mutating it, like a virus. Yeah, but it's, it's that perfect kind of tweet, which is like, oh, a little bit of nostalgia, a little bit of, ha, ha, you know, that, not a bit of, like a, ha, oh, those, you know, that kind of, you know, wit, kind of a, a bit of a wit, a bit of nostalgia. It's a nice thought that lots, lots of people critically can get behind. It's not necessarily political. I'm sure there yeah, are people yeah. that would find a way. And uh, yeah, you just, you just, those kind of thoughts happen again and again, which going back to our discussion about the copyrightability of jokes, the way that copyright law works and correctly in my view 
is that you cannot copyright an idea. You can only copyright an execution of an idea, right? So if I have a, um, if I have an idea for a premise of a joke, which is um, I'm tall and I'm discriminated against because short people um, will sometimes ask me to get things from high shelves, but I can't ask short people to get things from low shelves. That idea, I know for a fact, because I had a back and forth with a comic who I did a live, who I did a live show with. And this was a TV name comic, who I was desperate to make sure didn't think that I'd appropriated it from him. Um, we both had that idea, but we both had very different executions of that idea, right? But we both had that thought of that, you know, that's, that's I mean, that's a very standard joke writing technique, right, of a paradox. Um, and, um, and so copyright only ever protects the execution of that idea. So we both would not be infringing each other's copyright to do our own jokes. Because that's yeah. not what copyright's about. Yeah. It's about yeah. the final form. So that's why jokes like the, those tweets can be rehashed again and again and again because people just formulate them slightly differently. And I mean, you do see, you do see sort of similar, you know, certainly similar tweets and, and what have. I mean, I've looked into the whole can a tweet be copyrighted, and I think technically yeah. it can, but it would have yeah. to be a sort of verbatim approach, wouldn't it, really? Yes. Um, yeah. It, it has to be. I mean, the the, the test is is the work. An original authorial work and authorial is a, a kind of a legal term of art which means it has to be the expression of the author's own intellectual creation and so what that means is have you written something that is like genuinely original that is to say has it has has it basically never been written before mm -hmm. and is it dis sufficiently distinctive um obviously i'm paraphrasing the law a bit but a tweet in theory could be because, you know, a Shakespearean sonnet, you know, a few lines is copyrightable. Uh, but yeah, I mean, then the problem- But how does it work if you can prove that someone has not scrolled past that tweet that they're transgressing on? Well, I... you, you've, you've answered, you've asked exactly the right question. And this is why, you know, in, in the instances where comics have um, got disputes about um, jokes, you've got a really hard time um, making a claim if you cannot prove, and it is unfortunately your job to prove that someone else had access, because the test is not just not that they've done the same joke, but that they've copied it, right? Because it's 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 the test is have they seen your work and then replicated it, and so unless you've got evidence that they were at the same gig as you, or mm. you're sure they would have watched the video, you've got a really 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 hard time, unless it's so detailed. You know, sometimes this happens with maps, right? There, there are some old maps cases where like it's just absolutely obvious that there's no way you would have come up with this from scratch. It's clear you copied it. We don't know where you, we don't know when in time you copied it. We don't know how you got a hold of it, but it's identical. And that's why, by the way, in old fashioned maps, there was almost always a fake city or a little fake <laughs> church or something. So, so you could tell if, you know, the, if, if, if that yeah, church, yeah, which yeah. they made up was in someone else's map, then they knew that you'd copied it. That's amazing. I did not, I don't think I knew that. That's like sort of almost Tolkien-esque. Um, so yeah. there, there is just time, um, I, I think, to, um, well, I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit, but first of all, I'm going to ask you, uh, how do you feel about Friends, Ollie? Oh, um, <laughs> I, I haven't watched it. <laughs> You've never watched it? I don't think I have. I must have seen your clip, but yeah. Oh, God, brain explodes. Oh, wow, that is, okay, all right, okay. Um, well, it's, I watched the, um, actually, there is one more tweet I might want to. Well, isn't I, Friends supposed to be problematic now? 
Well, oh, God, come on. Right. Oh, Ollie. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't everything, seen is, this. everything is problematic now. I can't believe you asked that. I yeah. mean, there's there's a book, there's a book out on Friends, which I know is quite a loving book about. It's got some very interesting stories in, but it, 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 the, the, the revisionism of Friends now, you know, the amount of articles, and there's a book as well about what's problematic about Friends is, is just unbelievable. Having said that, despite the the kind of clickbait assault that the show gets, there are still a huge amount of fans of of a certain age, uh, you know, in their sort of 30s and, and what have you. And certainly the kids of some of the friend stars, as they were saying in the reunion, are watching it. And, and you know, it's not all, it, it's not all with a kind of, I think some of the issues they handled, they handled in, if you look, at some of the, the uh, issues that are handled in the way that they did, it's very, very sympathetic to who people would want it to be sympathetic to in an right. enlightened, progressive way. Right, OK. There are some, you know, the, I mean, well, I don't want really to sort of go down that rabbit hole particularly, but, uh, you know, there's plenty... I was just can, goading you to There's a, plenty you can read on that. But it, but what is fascinating, it is fascinating, because I think I walked past a group of people today outside having you know, drinks, and they were talking about friends and the reunion, and they were all kind of in their late 20s or something. And I thought, it's amazing, because this is a bit like, you know, my generation sitting around talking about the, the last episode or the reunion of MASH, which mm. probably just, despite the fact that MASH was phenomenally successful, and the viewing figures, for example, for the last episode, just mind-blowing. But yeah. I don't think that you know, because obviously, you know, Friends of Flat sharing sitcom and all the rest of it, coming of age type sitcom. Define the genre, yeah. It's got a resonance, you know. But so the reunion, so Sajila, who's also a super fan as well, we did one of our uh, Sorbet editions and we talked about the reunion about a week before it happened. And I was a bit like, it was a bit circumspect because I never really, you know, there's a saying you can never go home again. And it's a bit like when you try and revisit things. I certainly wasn't expecting them to do a new episode, which various people had suggested. I don't know why they suggested that. It was crazy. But it there was a lot of sort of... Um, there was... I, I was a bit circumspect, but I, I knew I'd watch it. And, I, you know, I did watch it. It was two hours long. The whole fact that James Corden was... Uh, this is what I want to come to you in a minute, to talk about James Corden. Okay. Uh, the whole point that... Ja the fact that James not, Corden... Not because you think I look it. like him, do you? No. Is that, is that, what you, is that what's going to happen? I th I, I, well, I, you know, I think when I sat and watched James Corden interviewing them, I was thinking, I could, I could do that with more hair and about 20 years off me. But anyway, um, there was a lot of people turning their nose up to the fact that he was involved. It was actually his production company that, that did it. And there was a whole stream of tweets, and I won't go into them, about him um, doing it and, and not particularly warming to him when he, when he did it. But I have to say, I don't really... It was two hours long, which actually, in some respects, wasn't long enough because that they, they, they threaded so many things through it. They, had, they were watching outtakes, they were doing a quiz, they were having a few people that had been in the show as bit parts, not everyone, but some of them. They had a live portion. Yes, there was this kind of fashion show bit which had, like, Justin Bieber and Carla Delevingne, but just for microseconds, thankfully, that section. And it, if anything, it, I would have happily watched longer, <laughs> I know. But then when the critics came out and they were all like, oh, well, you know, it's for the fans. Yeah, of course it's for the fans. Who's going to watch? Who's going <laughs> to exactly. watch a eulogy yeah, yeah, that, of a show that even that they've two never year, watched? That two-year James Corden know. special wasn't my gateway drug into Friends, I'm afraid. 
But wait, but what is no? Well, I mean, I've got, I've got it recorded. Sadly, I may watch it again. But you're talking to someone who watches Friends on a virtually daily basis. But what really? is it? What are you there? Yeah, yeah, it's always in. I mean, you know, we're talking about we're talking about some background watching. To you know, I'm not I'm not sort of literally not doing anything else. But do you remember lines? Because I remember watching Faulty Towers so often I could memorize the scripts. Are you that level? I, I'm pretty much that level. And there's a brilliant, weirdly going back to Smash, there is a fantastic scene. Uh, with Alan Alda, and I forget the name of uh, the guy opposite Alan Alda, which is criminal because he was fantastic. But basically, what happens is they're all in the mess, they're watching a film, and the sound goes on the film. But they've seen the film so many times that they, they go up to the front and just. <laughs> <out> the <laughs> That's great. That's but, awesome. Yeah. So I have some, you know, there are some stand up acts that I've seen their acts so often, I wonder if I could do that. Oh, that's that is impressive. Maybe you've got a photographic memory. But what is what is it with? I mean, I'm not going to show the stream of sort of James Corden abuse. The two tweets that I picked out on Friends for Safran Mansour, they're very similar actually. I'm catching up with the Friends reunion thing. The intensity of the nostalgia is almost unbearably potent. Uh, and then Chris Addison's very similar tweet. Uh, oh God, hopefully somewhere. Where are you, Chris? Oh look, I had the Nick Timothy tweet all along. Never mind. Chris's tweet was the Friends reunion is like an appointment with your own mortality. <laughs> and there was an element of that, but I did manage to push through. But what's, what fascinated me and what I really wanted your take on was what, what, what's wrong with James Corden? Well, do you know what? It's, re it's really funny you mention this. I'm going to send um, uh, you a DM now okay. uh, to one of my own tweets. Oh, I better send it to, your, to this account. Yeah, we'll what's the, what's the URL? It. Let's kill. It's uh, LKT Zoom, or you can WhatsApp me. Oh, live okay. live WhatsApping. <laughs> so I have that'd be cool. This is this is oh, so here we go. Here we go. this is so futuristic. So this is a this is a tweet uh, which this is this genuinely happens. This answers your question. I did a corporate, <laughs> and so, <laughs> someone commented, and I wouldn't say the corporate went badly, but I didn't think smashed it right. It was one, yeah. one of those like you know I've done I've done my job, and. Um, you know, often you get feedback, right, from the client, and someone said um, they uh, they said they reminded you of of, of James Corden, and and that, this is serious. I genuinely thought, oh God, was I too? Was I was I fake, or was I or was I like, or was I really, you know, internationally recognised funny, and uh, and so that's my take on it, right? Like my view is, I think um, his performance in the History Boys is. Uh, like really, really, really good. Like he's yeah. obviously a talented actor, and I, I think he probably cares. Like when, when you know, he did he, when he was he hosted the Emmys and he did that whole musical thing all by himself. I, but I imagine it's one of these things that like enough people have worked with him that he probably is an asshole. If enough people say that he's an asshole, but but on the people saying he's an asshole, people that have never met him, they've just they've just sort of watched him and and you know he did um, you know. Gavin and Stacey was obviously one half of the Gavin and Stacey team, writing yeah. team, and obviously in it. And people love Gavin and Stacey. I mean, not, you know. Well, do you know what? One thing that I'm not particularly proud of is when I was, uh, must be over 12 years ago now, I quite liked his um, his sketch show. Yeah, with uh, with uh, Matthew Horn. With Matthew Horn, yeah. yeah. And, well, you know, when, when I was when I was a, a, a very young boy, when I was a kid, I, I did a bit of acting, and I was in a couple of scenes with Matthew Horn in Teachers. And so uh, I got really excited to watch their sketch show when it when it came out, and uh, and I was just oh, so that's probably why I was already predisposed to it because I was like oh <laughs> my colleagues, 
that's, but, that's really but cool. Yeah, I was, I, was um, I, I actually thought, you know, for the people it was aimed at, which was a BBC Three audience, so me at the time, I thought it was, per- I thought it was perfect, but um, that didn't age well at all. Um, I've got a memory of, um, I, I reviewed, I think it was three stars standard, but um, I think I reviewed, and I do think they were good sketch, sketch trip, but I reviewed them live. I think they were at the UCL on Mallet Street and um, the, the independent said, you, can you review them? And I think uh, technically I wasn't supposed to be there. So I actually had to walk around the corridors avoiding their agents. So I wasn't spotted. Oh, really? That is the kind of shindig, yes, the kind of shindig you do sometimes when you're a, a reviewer. It's living you're on the, the edge. The, the bad boy of comedy oh, reviewing. Well, I mean, you know, it was, it was one of those things where it was a standard thing where the press night was always the second night into a run. And, but you'd go, you'd always go to the first night, you know, particularly the big shows in Little Britain, Chris Rock and all the rest of it. You'd pay for your ticket, you'd go to the first night and you'd always look round and be like, oh, yeah, there's what's it. That's funny. Oh, dear. But, you know, if you pay for your ticket, I mean, you, you can't, I mean, you can't really argue with that. We're allowed to be there. Yeah. They're allowed to be there. Although I think people have been spotted and asked to leave, so uh, but there you go. Really, I think I think so. I mean, uh, that is ringing vague bells. Maybe my yeah, my, I'll have to consult my friends who are still critics uh, about mm. that. But um, this 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 reminds me of when I was at Just the Tonic in Edinburgh a couple of years back. One of the staff said, um, "Do you want to know if if a review is in?" And oh. it's like, well, the room only holds 60 people and, I, and I'm, you know, seldom full and reviewers always like to sit where they like to sit. And, uh, and I could see I could see them shuffling when uh, Steve Bennett was in and uh, Steve Bennett sits right at, the, right at the very back, leaving three rows between him and the rest of the, you know, 45 audience. So obviously, you know, obviously I know you're there. <laughs> like that's you know and and, and it, def- it definitely affects things 100 it affects things i mean i well i'm not yeah i'm not gonna have to launch into my oh weird gigs i have known because there are there are some weird things that that happen actually i have to say when you're you're doing gigs right now i'm changing my backdrop now which signifies to the world um that we are i've got to shut up in to try and ask people for money um, yeah, and just generally wrap up. Um, I mean, it was fantastic. I mean, obviously, I'm incredibly grateful that you managed to get here <laughs> at all. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm glad of that gratitude. I'm shocked. I'm I did not think it would happen, and I have my uh, my dad to thank. So yeah, well, no, big thanks to your dad from the the Let's Kill Twitter team as well. Yeah. Um, so what uh, wrapping up in terms of admin? Uh, the backdrop behind me is for Buy Me A Coffee, that well-known donation service. Uh, I'll do the high-tech bit now where I move out of the way to say that if you go to Let's Kill Twitter on the buymeacoffee.com site or buymeacoffee.com hash, uh, forward slash Let's Kill Twitter, you can donate um, and you can reward Ollie and I for our work this evening. And why is a Zoom meeting? Oh, that's my Bless my parents. That's great. Is your mum calling? Yeah, my mum's calling. I'm, I'm amazed that's it. never happened before. Um, I love it. But oh, look, I, don't, I, I seem to have lost the Twitter screen, but it doesn't matter. We don't need it. Um, so, yes, please do that. It would be fantastic if you can uh, donate uh, and I can buy Ollie a coffee and I can buy myself a coffee in the process. Hopefully we um, can have it in person. And, and we could even have it in person, actually, at some stage, which would be fantastic. Uh, watch out for next week's show. It's going to be at the same time 
uh, at eight o'clock and it will be well it's to be confirmed i'm pretty sure that uh, i know who the next week's guest is but we'll we'll um uh we will uh, confirm anon on that and i should put a tweet out but uh yeah um can i say shall i say because yeah, yeah of course yeah, yeah, and yeah, also he's... i'm going to tell you the news because I think he's made it public on his Instagram. He's now a father. It's Darius Davies, oh, wow. the bad boy of British, bad boy British comedy, who is on stage single, uh, has uh, has a little baby girl. Very healthy. Oh wow, baby that's girl. fantastic! Oh my god, well yeah. he's trying to time to do this. What's he? What's he doing? Oh no, no, time? no! He will have time. He's made it quite clear that it's his wife's baby, not his. Okay, right. <laughs> he will still, find time. We're still streaming live, don't forget. Right. Okay. <laughs> 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 um, uh, thanks to everyone who's watching. Uh, you will get, be able to see this on record on YouTube and also on Facebook, of course, but the quality better on YouTube. Um, you will also be able to uh, listen to it as a podcast uh, in a few days' time when I do the oh, cool. podcast. Uh, yeah, we're all over. We're all over the medium. And uh, please do tune in next week and please do follow us if you're not already following us uh, at LKT Zoom. And uh, all that remains to say is uh, basically goodbye from both of us. Thanks so much for having me, Julian. This is really fun. Not a problem at all. I'm going to say we'll say goodbye to our, our streamers now. Oh, yeah. And Hol don't forget to follow Ollie. But you, his details have been scrolling above my head for the last hour. But it's oh, at cool. Ollie Horn Tweets as well. All right. Thanks for watching, everyone. Thanks, Em. Cheers. Bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to the show. Please do check out the other podcasts in the series. If you go to our website, www.letskilltwitter.com, you'll find all our previous shows listed and you can find links to the YouTube versions as well as audio files. If you'd like to support our work, you can do via buymeacoffee.com. If you go to their website, you'll find a Let's Kill Twitter page set up for donations. But anything you can do is much appreciated. A like, a follow, a recommendation to a friend, it all counts. Once again, thanks for listening. We hope to be in your ears again very soon.